Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church today. Let's begin by praying. Father, we thank you so much for all your blessings. We thank you, Father, that when we were dead in our sins, you made us alive by faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and you raised from the dead. We thank you, Father, that we are now in the life of grace. You shower your grace on us. And we are a life, a life of faith, faith in your son, not only for salvation, but for making our way through every day. We thank you also for the Holy Spirit and his guidance and direction. We pray, Father, for the needs of the saints. We pray this morning particularly for Dale and Linda as she uh, had a, a, a procedure um, yesterday, and we pray that she's recovering well from that. We also pray, Father, this morning for the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters in, in uh, India and Pakistan and Africa and other parts of Asia. We, we pray also, Father, for our own congregation and any of the needs that we have. And we ask, Father, especially that you would allow us by the power of the Spirit, to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of you and your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, if you now write, stand up, we'll sing a congregation song next. All right, good morning. Before you begin, just a couple of announcements today. Again, as I mentioned in the prayer, please do keep Linda and Dale in prayer. She... Uh, had a medical procedure, and she's hopefully recovering. We do pray for a speedy recovery for her and that she's not in pain. By the way, speaking of prayers, you can always uh, submit your own prayer requests on our website. Okay, That's uh, probably the best way that we have of uh, knowing what, what you'd like us to pray for. Um, we so encourage you to do that. I, I, we do check that before we uh, have our prayer meeting on Thursday evening, so don't don't be shy. All right, this morning... Our title is, How Do We Take Hold of Eternal Life? How Do We Take Hold of Eternal Life? Last Sunday, we asked a question. And that question was, what is eternal life? And Jesus gave us the answer. He told us that eternal life, he defined it by equating it to coming to know the one true God. Coming to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And that word know is not, is not knowing facts, but it's entering into a deep, intimate relationship with a person. And it's in this sense that eternal life is defined as coming to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. In other words, coming to and developing a deeper, deeper relationship based on who God is and who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We also learned last week that every believer has eternal life now. It is his or her present possession. I hope that there's nothing else you remember from last week, that that's what you remember from last week. Because I probably said it, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 times. No, maybe only 15. All right, so this morning, let's go back and look at John 17, 3, uh, one more time. John 17, 3. Now, I, t I do take for granted that as we're going through these points that you are hearing them and taking them to heart. Because what we're going to look at today is the follow-on. It is a sort of a, uh, an honest question that should actually rise on the, on the heels of the point that we looked at last week. Remember, again, we learned that every believer has eternal life now. We believers have eternal life now. That was the main point. It's not just something that we look forward to when we die. It's something we have now. Not only that, but we saw last week that eternal life is also something that we can live in now. So not only do we have it as a possession, we can actually live in it. And again, that picture of, the, of a secret garden where you have it, it's, it's yours but then there's, there's a whole other level where you actually enter into it, work on it, enjoy it. And it's the same thing with eternal life. We have it, but there's another level to reach, living in it. And we do that in time first. So not only is it something that we have, though, and something that we can live in, there's one other thing about it. We can also grow. We can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and of God. 
And that means that we can grow in our capacity to live in eternal life now in time. So we have eternal life. We can live in it and we can grow in our capacity to live in it. So that just that just builds. So you have it and then you can live in it and then you can grow in it. Okay. so in a way, let's think of a marriage just for a moment. When you get married, you have a marriage, right? But then the idea is to live in the marriage, to live in it, to live day by day. And as you do, you have an opportunity to grow in your capacity to be a good wife, to be a good husband, to love one another. So, it, and it's really very analogous to our relationship with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that life that Jesus came to give, that life more abundant. And we, so we have it, we we'll always have it, we have it now. We have an opportunity to live in it now, to step into it. And we have an opportunity to grow in our capacity to live in it, grow in our capacity to live in eternal life now and time. So today, though, we're going to ask the next logical question. In other words, if I have it and I can live in it and I can grow in my capacity to live in it, I think the next logical question we should have is how? How can I do that? I know I have it, but how do I live in it? And then also, how do I grow in that life that I'm living? Or another way of putting it, and we're going to see that there's a passage this morning that puts it this way. How can I take hold of eternal life? How do I take hold of eternal life now in time? How do I live in it now? How do I grow in the manner with which I know God and Jesus Christ, thereby growing in my, if I could put it this way, experience of eternal life now in time? So that's the question of the day. How do we take hold of eternal life now? In time, I dare say, I think it's something that as believers we want. I mean, once we understand that there's this life that Jesus died so we could have. And then we do have it. And we have an opportunity to grow in it. The question is how? How am I going to do that? I want to do that. I love God. I understand who he is. I want to live more and more in this life that he's given me. So the question is how? How do we take hold of eternal life now in time? Another way of putting it, and we're going to see a passage in the epistles today that does put it this way, is how can I reap eternal life in this life on earth? Now, reaping is something, it's like the garden. You plant something, and then over time, you get to the time where you can reap it. And we can, and we're going to see a passage in the book of Galatians that says that. And the question is, how? How do we actually reap eternal life in this, in this life on earth? How does it grow and produce fruit for us, in us, during our time here on earth? How can we grow in our capacity to live this thing called eternal life? Or another way of looking at it is, how do we enter into real life? And I put it that way because there was a time, if you turn now to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19, Going to the Gospel of Matthew, which might be a surprising place to go, but that's where we're going today. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. I say surprising because, you know, as Christians and understanding the amazing mysteries that have been revealed now for us and understanding that eternal life is spoken of Almost, very rarely in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, 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 and a lot of what's in those Gospels is really to make the point that's made in the Old Testament that Paul's going to make in the first three chapters of Romans, which is there's this law, but we can't live up to it. And so you would think, well, I'm going to go back to a place where Jesus is going to talk to somebody, and he, he's going to talk to them, about the commandments, and yet we know that that person doesn't have the capacity yet to live in it. Well, here's the amazing thing about all of that. I, I sometimes picture it as an, as an hourglass, meaning this. When Jesus came, and you look at the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, you have all of these commands, right? All of these commands. And Jesus actually 
took those and went to the nth degree. Not only, for example, should you not commit adultery, men, you should not even look at a woman with lust. And if if it is very difficult, perhaps, for some men not to commit adultery, it's impossible, humanly speaking, to never look at a woman with lust. All right? However, yet, there it is. Jesus is saying, it's, you know what, if you do that, it's as if you actually committed adultery. If you get angry with your brother, it's as if you actually committed murder. And you look at that and you say, this is absolutely impossible. He says one other time, you shall be perfect, not only as a human can possibly be, but as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but the moment I heard that, and before I understood the good news even, in, in the sense of understanding what, what the result is, I totally despaired. I mean, come on. I get the Ten Commandments, but you're telling me that I have to live and become as perfect as God? Forget about it. I'm out of here. Let me find another religion. Let me find Buddhism or what do you got over there? You know, humanism. Because there's no possible way that I of myself can ever become perfect in any sense, never mind as your Heavenly Father is. So what's going on? And why would we turn here this morning? Do we want to just come here and get more and more discouraged? Do you think that's why I'm bringing you here this morning? You know, you're having too good a time out there. I want you to have some discouragement and pain. And, and, no. No, because here's the, the amazing thing. The amazing thing is, is that, yeah, here are all these things that we can't live in. You know, the law can make nobody perfect. Right? The commands themselves. Okay. In the sense of you step into this. And you're, you can't in your own flesh do it. That's the whole point of the Old Testament. If you want to think of it simply, the Old Testament is, is here are these people who are given every advantage to live in the commandments that the Lord gave them, and they can't. And over and over and over again, I don't care where you go. They can't, they can't, they can't. And then, and then, then Paul comes in the New Testament, and he nails it. In the first, in Romans, chapters 1 through 3, where he basically says, you know what, Gentiles, you're a complete mess. He didn't say it like that. But that's, what you, that's the message. You're, you're hopelessly sinful. And then he turns to the Jews and he says, well, you may think that you're better than them, but you're not because the same things that you're telling them not to do, you're doing. And so what's the answer? Is it just to despair? No, there's one answer. And God, God's going to solve it. With man, it's impossible. There's that despair if you're really honest. It's impossible. However, with God. What? All things are possible. What's that mean? Here's what it means. You've got that hourglass now. You've got all these things that we can't possibly do. And then it all comes to this pivotal point where Jesus Christ comes and he dies. And, and in so doing, he's cleared out all of our sins. Okay, so they're no longer in the way. But not only that, but he's given us eternal life and God the Father has looked at us and said, in my eyes, you're already perfect. What? You mean to tell me that what Jesus told the Jews that they they couldn't possibly live up to, God already sees me that way? And not on the basis of anything I've done, but simply believing in Jesus Christ and what he did for me. I can't do it. He did it for me. And now what do I do? Just live a life by faith in the Son of God loved me and gave himself up for me. And now all of a sudden, everything that was impossible in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit becomes possible. As a matter of fact, in that same book, the book of Romans, Paul will say in chapter 6, because, the, because we could basically, he's saying, because the law could not perfect us, weak as the law was through the flesh, God did by what? By placing our sins in Christ and by condemning sin in the flesh. That's the end of the story. The flesh under the Lord will never do it. Condemned. And then, so that we, though, can receive the Spirit and we can fulfill the righteousness of the law. We can fulfill it. The impossible becomes possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he did and the fact that we have the Spirit indwelling us. The impossible becomes possible. But here's the interesting thing. You know, there's another time when Jesus said, you, you know, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Fulfill it. And what he was saying was, is I'm going to, by my death and resurrection, I am now going to enable my brothers and sisters 
to actually live according to what the law has to say. And not only that, to go way beyond it. And that's really, if you look at, if you look at the commands that are given to us, you realize that. You say, you know, I mean, after all, if you look at the commands as they stood in the Old Testament, you can say to yourself, I totally get the holiness of God when he tells me not to, not to commit murder and, and, and not to steal and so forth. That coveting one's a really tough one. <laughs> Paul found that out. But the other ones, I think, yeah, I get it. I can, I can, I can see why. But he's, saying, but he's saying, once we have the Spirit, we go way beyond that. In Ephesians, we see not only are we to stop stealing, but we got to live a life where we use our hands and our capabilities to produce good things so that we will have something to give, something to share, and there's no law against that. The Holy Spirit is developing the fruit of us, in us, his fruit. There's no law against that, right? There's no law that says you must be joyful, right? It goes way beyond that. Love, joy, peace. Patience. These are not things that were commanded in the Old Testament. But they're things that are part of the life we are called to live now. Now what that means is that we can go back, as we're going to do in a minute, to what was impossible. And then understand that and not get intimidated by it. Because we know that we are able to step into those things now. In a way that the Jewish people never could before Christ came. So we can relax and just go to Matthew chapter 19, where we see this, the question of the day, which again was the question of the day, how can we take hold of eternal life now in time? Because in Matthew 19, a rich young man posed that very question to Jesus. Look at Matthew 19:16. And someone came to him, the other... The other uh, you know, Mark and Luke identify this as the rich young man, and we, we kind of know him that way. Man came, and said, came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now, now Jesus hears that question, and he, and he thinks, this guy is arrogant. He actually think, thinks that there's something he can do to obtain eternal life. What did you do to obtain eternal life? Anybody? Believe. Nothing. Right. Believe. Right. So the simple answer to this question is there's nothing you can do. Okay. However, Jesus understands where this guy is at. Okay. And so what he's going to do is he's going to challenge him. And the guy's going to object or think he's smart and ask him another question. And Jesus is going to blow him away. Not physically, but you know, spiritually. Mentally. Let's look at it again. Verse 16. Someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? What a great question. There's only one who is good. There's only one who is good. There's only one who has eternal life. And eternal life, as John John reveals that Jesus later would teach, is coming to know this God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That should be your focus, right? But then he goes on and he says, well, okay, if you want me to answer your question, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. So the question is, how, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And Jesus answers quite simply what? Keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Now, if you think about it, though, you, we don't obtain eternal life by keeping commandments, do we? That was exactly the thing that Paul threw out. You can't. It's not by good works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. However, if you were to come back to this question and, and look at it a different way, now you can see how this does apply to us and because of who we are. It is possible. In other words, if the rich young man had asked him, what, 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 how do I live in the eternal life that you can give me? And that's a question that we can, we can now apply to. Oh, that's our question of the day. Well, 
Jesus gives a simple, straightforward answer. And we can dismiss it because we're thinking he's talking about the Old Testament commandments and the law. And we're, we're not under the law. That's true. But the heart of this remains true. In other words, what does that mean? In other words, what our question is, how do we enter into? How do we live in eternal life? How do we reap eternal life? It's the same thing, by the way. It's the same thing. Only now, it's not. We're going to see only now what he's talking about in keeping the commandments actually goes beyond the things that this man thought he was keeping. So we give, Jesus gives him a simple answer. Keep the commandments. Now, you might think that that would be enough to, to shut this guy up. Right? He's basically saying, don't you understand? Don't you understand that there's a law, and if you keep it, you'll obtain eternal life? It's a simple, straightforward answer. But, like so many of us at times, the rich young man was not satisfied with a simple answer, just like we are. We push aside. We reject. We don't want to come to terms with the simple answer. You want to know why? Because it's too challenging. It's too challenging. So instead, he comes back. And he really, it seems like he wants to know more, but he's really looking for an opportunity to wiggle out of the implications of the answer that Jesus gave him. So let's take a look at the question that he follows up with. Look at Matthew 19, starting in verse 18. What, shall I, what good thing shall I do, Jesus, that I may obtain eternal life? And he says, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. By the way, I will point out before we get to verse 18, that he actually answered it a different way than, than this man asked it. See, this man asked, how do I obtain it? And he says, how do you, the, the thing to think about how I enter into it. Now, that's amazing if you think about it. Because now the same mental shift that we had to do, okay, here's this eternal life. And that's something we think about as kind of like the ultimate that one day we can, we can but, but now he comes back and he says it a different way. If you wish, if you wish to enter into life, enter into it. We, now, we know we have it. But we still have that same question. How do I enter into it? How do I live in it? How do I grow in it? And he said, keep the commandments. But the rich young man wasn't satisfied with that answer. And so he followed up in verse 18. Then he said to Jesus, which ones? That's kind of a smart aleck answer. I mean, think of it this way. If you're in a household and, and, and your parents have said, here's the, here's the seven things I'm going to tell you that you really have to do. These are kind of the rules of this household. And then you go up to, how do, I, how, do I, how do I stay happy in this home, Dad? Keep the rules. Well, which ones? <laughs> you know, it's got to say, I don't want to know all of them. I just want to know a few of them. And Jesus answers him. Notice the answer. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. These sound familiar? This is the Old Testament commandments, right? You shall not bear false witness or lie. You should honor your mother and father. And what? You should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus has just done there. He has said the commandments. And this guy is trying to look at the minimum that he has to do to get it, to, to obtain eternal life. And Jesus walks him through some of those. By the way, if you look at these, he doesn't start with the first three commandments, does he? He starts with shall not murder. Now, what's the issue? Who do you sin against when you murder? It's kind of obvious. Other people, right? So these are all things that we shouldn't do to other people. We shouldn't steal from them. We shouldn't lie to them, right? We should honor our parents. But then he puts in something. There's the impossible in a sense. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, can you see how that's, that's what he's doing? Is he's saying, here's the package, and let me tell you what the ultimate is. Goes way beyond. In other words, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to kill them. Right? I mean, that's kind of, right. I'm not going to commit adultery. If I love my, my brother as, as I love myself, and I don't want anybody to, to take my wife, I'm not going to take his wife, and so forth. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? To love your neighbor as yourself is a whole lifestyle. It's a whole way of thinking about things. And the, here comes the arrogance, of course, in verse 20. A young man said to him, 
all these things I have kept. <laughs> lie, first of all, right? All right. You mean you never, you, you never told a lie? I mean, that's what you and I would probably do. That's what, you know, some of these uh, street evangelists always try to do to people. They try to say, well, here's a commandment. Did you ever break it? Jesus doesn't have to do that. He knows the answer already. It's the same answer Paul gave. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, all of these things I have kept. And by the way, if he had kept all of others except the last one, he still would be lying right now because he hasn't loved his neighbor as himself all the time in every relationship. Think about it. Think about you and your neighbors, and I don't mean just physically neighbors, but you know people that you're in contact with every day. And can you honestly say that each and every day you have thought about them and thought about what, what this might do to them, and if I were them, and if there's anything bad, I wouldn't do it? Really? Well, you know, that would be great about that. You'd never gossip, right? You'd never say a harsh word, right? You would never lust at somebody's wife, you would never, all these things, you have to do all these things to, to fulfill that. There's no, there's no way, okay? So Jesus says to him, wait a minute. He says to them, he's smart now. Of course he is. He's the son of God. And he says, I'll, what I'm going to do now is just shut down the debate. I'm going to shut down the debate. Here's a rich young man, and he has the arrogance to think that he's already loving his neighbor as himself. I'm going to show him that that's impossible, that you are not loving your neighbor as yourself, because now I'm going to bring in something else, right? Well, how does he, notice how he brings it in, though. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you wish to obtain eternal life, is that what he says, though? Right? That's maybe what he would expect. No, he says what? If you wish to be complete. By the way, that's as perfect as God, you could say mature, complete, Perfect as God is, in a sense, right? Imitator of God, if you think of it that way. If you wish to be complete, what does he tell him? Go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Now, now, now he knows the guy's rich. He knows that how really impossible this is, given where the man is at. Well, you know, he's coveting riches, let's face it, right? And he's saying, here's how you do it. Here's how you become complete. And what he's saying is, is here's how you enter into life. Here's how, here's how you reap eternal life. Here's how you take hold of eternal life. Here's how you come to know me better in my heart. All right, sell your possessions. And by the way, all he's saying there, though, there's one thing that's interfering with your living in life. And that's your love for your stuff. So get that out of there. Sell your possessions. Give to the poor. After all, if you love your neighbor as yourself, and your neighbor is poor and doesn't have enough to eat, and you've got stuff stored away that could enable you to eat and him to eat and a whole host of other people to eat for years, if you truly love your neighbor then you should sell your possessions and give to your neighbor. But he, that, that, he didn't want to talk about that. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Where will you have treasure? In heaven. Where does eternal life come from? Heaven. Living in eternal life is living heavenly now. Right? It's what we are told in Colossians 3, to set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. It's what Jesus would say, had said earlier, which is, listen, don't hoard treasures on earth where thieves can steal it and where, and where they can rust, but instead put, get treasure in heaven, right? Get treasure in heaven. My righteousness, he says, in that place. And then he, said, then he says the other thing, which is totally open-ended, which is totally actually the answer, which is what? Follow me. Can you see how that's open-ended? Can you see how that's a, a commitment that goes way beyond the commandments that he thought he was doing a good job with? He's saying, no, you don't understand. I, he didn't say it this way yet, but we know. He says, I am life. Follow me. In other words, you can, you, sure, you can try to obey the law, but that's not really enough. 
You have to follow me. I am life. If you want to enter into life, enter into my life, Jesus is saying. And we know the the end of that story, don't we? Verse 22, But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was the one who owned much property. Now, a lot of people think this is saying that you can't be saved unless you sell all your property. Yeah, you know, some people think that. I've had questions about that. People actually think that. But that's, that is not at all what he's saying. What Jesus has done to this man is to enter him into the debate, the, 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 the actually indictment, and Paul does. All have sinned and fall short of the law, being justified by grace. This young man... For him to do what Jesus asked him to do that day was, practically speaking, impossible. So he went away grieving. There's that grief. By the way, that's the best thing that happened to this young man that day. Why? Because he he was learning a lesson, which is don't be thinking that you of your own power can keep the law. Jesus, Jesus does the same thing here that he did already, which is saying, oh, so you think that if you don't, commit adultery, then you're keeping the law. But I'm telling you, if you ever look at a woman with lust, you as if you committed adultery. And, and if you're ever angry at your brother, anybody here, can you stand up, anybody here, to say in this morning, you've never been angry with anybody? Raise your hand. You don't, I mean, I'm not expecting, no, of course not. So is he saying that if you've ever been angry with somebody, you can't go to heaven? Is that what he's saying? No, he's saying you need to despair of being able to live in the life that I have for you on your own merits, on your own ability. You need a savior. That's really that that is really in the in the in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay, the ministry that is documented of Jesus Christ is essentially getting to that one thing. Don't think you can do it. Don't think highly of yourself. You can't, but you need a savior. That's why in another context, there was a Pharisee, if you remember, and he was, he was standing next to a, to a sinner, a publican, and, he, and, and, and the Pharisee's all proud of himself. Hey, Lord. I mean, think of the arrogance of going to the Lord and bragging, by the way, but that's what he did. I fast so many times a week. I tithe. Me, 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 me. And the other guy's looking in there, and he won't even look up, but he says, he says Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, he figured out the issue, right? That was the issue. I'm a sinner. Nothing I can do about it. I'm relying on the mercy of the Lord. That's where the Lord wants each and every person to get to. He does. And, And how do you get there? Well, there's a quick way if you have a lot of money, right? Okay, sell all you have. Give it all to the poor and follow me. And the man walked away grieving. By the way, I'll give you a piece of advice this morning. Never debate the law with the one who wrote the law. Okay? That's a practical thing. You can apply that anywhere you, any way you want, right? So when the young man questions Jesus' answer, Jesus changed the question. No longer is it, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life, but rather, how can I become complete? Now, that question it has a lot in common with ours, right? How do I reap eternal life? How do I become complete? How do I take hold of eternal life? See, and that's the question that we ask ourselves today. How do I become complete? Now, that day, the young man was stunned by the answer. It knocked him off his feet, knocked him right off his feet. And, of course, it's a simple answer. We just saw it. Sell your possessions and give to the poor and come follow me. That's a specific thing that he told that person to do. But basically what he's saying here is essentially what Paul says, put away the old man, be renewed in the mind of the spirit, and put on the new man. That's basically what he's saying. He says, get rid of the things that are obstacles to you living the life I have for you, and then come and live that life now. You've been freed up from the shackles that are preventing you from moving forward with Jesus Christ. You know, he said, listen, what he's basically saying is is that becoming complete, imitating God, 
becoming perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect in the ways that you, He's given you to be able to do that. We're going to see in a little while this morning, if we get that far, that God is righteous. Amen? God's holy, right? Yeah, God is love, right? Now let me ask you something. Can you be sovereign like God? No. But can you be loving like God? Yes. Can you pursue righteousness? Absolutely. See how in some ways you can become perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, that, that perfect is a tough one. I know. But except when you take it, by the way, and you talk about justification. It's nice then, isn't it? For God sees us as perfectly righteous. Then we like the word. And as long as we look at things from God's point of view, we're going to like a lot of things. We're going to change how we see things. So becoming complete, or our question of the day, how do we live an eternal life? Notice something interesting, because we're going to see this again and again when we go to other passages this morning. I want you to see that the answer about becoming complete involves the proper use of riches. Notice that. The proper use of the things that God has provided for you. After all, Jesus said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. You're asking me about treasure in heaven. You're asking me about what I'm telling you is the greatest treasure Right? Well, this is the thing. If your heart is pinned to something else, and it's not going to be pinned to living an eternal life. Or, to put it in the, in the words that Jesus was talking about here, a heart that covets the world's riches is not complete. It's not mature. As a matter of fact, it's missing the whole point. Now, I'm not saying that if you, if you covet the world's riches, you can't go to heaven not at all. How do you get to heaven? How do you, have, how do you re- receive eternal life? Believe in Jesus Christ. But you see, implicit in believing in Jesus Christ is the idea that where I'm at is wrong. Right? I, I have to understand that. Now, there's nothing I can do about it except believe. But it's still wrong. And Jesus came not only to save us, but also to put us on the right road. People leave that part out. You want to know why? Because that's challenging. Now, all of a sudden, he's asking you to change how you live. Do things that you didn't do before. That's a challenge, and people don't want to hear that. Well, tough, because that's really, you know, Paul and another say, see, we always want to say, I'm okay with the knowledge. I'm okay with learning more. And this is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm okay with learning more about who God is. I'm okay with learning about the cross. Just don't ask me to live in it. See it? What does that mean? It means, okay, you can learn that God is righteous, but now to, he, he came to die and raised again, not only to save you, but also to allow you to live a, a righteous life where you're pursuing it. You see? And if you're not, you're not complete. You're not mature. heart that covets the world's riches is not complete. Not mature. That is not the way to enter into real life eternal life. And that brings us back to our question of the day. How do I take hold of eternal life during, how do we do it, during our lives on earth? I know I have it, and I know someday I'll be wholly immersed in eternal life because I'll be with Jesus, and I won't have, eventually God's going to take care of my flesh. He's already done it, spiritually speaking, at the cross, but I'm going to leave this body, and I'm not going to have it anymore, and there's going to Nothing's going to get in the way once I'm up there with him. I'm going to see him in his glory, and I'm going to realize that he's made me that. That's going to be a piece of cake, but now it's not a piece of cake. Now we have to take hold of it. Now we have to do things. God forbid we have to do things, right? Again, we're much, much more comfortable with learning things than we are with doing things. But God is not satisfied with us just learning things. He wants us to live that way. Paul puts it this way in 1 Timothy. He says, the end of our instruction is love from a pure heart. That's the end, a pure heart. See, not a heart that covets riches, but a pure heart. The point of learning is to to then start loving. That's the whole point. So if you don't take that step, you miss the point. Now, you're going to go to heaven, but you're not going to live an eternal life here on earth. Now, as we 
continue to investigate this question this morning. We're going to look into some other passages in the New Testament. I want you just to keep in mind the simple answer that Jesus gave. Keep the commandments of the Lord. Keep the commandments of the Lord. So we can grow in eternal life. We can do it now. And this is confirmed, by the way, and this is where we're going to go next, in the epistles, right, in the letters. That's beautiful, because why? That's letters right to the church, right where we are. We're going to understand, by the way, Jesus is going to say something. We've already been there. That's going to apply to us as a new creation. The epistles apply to us as a new creation. And we're going to see that they confirm this idea. I want you to turn now in first, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Timothy 6, 12. And I'm going to go back to a slide. But turn to, we're getting ready to go to the epistles now. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Why? Well, because we know we already have eternal life, but the epistles also tell us that we can take hold as well as having it, we can take hold of it. Those are not the same thing, by the way. Having it is not the same thing as taking hold of it. It better not be because there are things that are involved in taking hold of it that if they were requirements to be saved, we'd be in trouble. Okay? If, if, what's, if what's said about reaping, how do I reap eternal life? If that meant, how do I receive eternal life? Then I'd be in trouble, and you would too. Because this is all about living in the life that we've been now given freely. We take hold of it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Very simple. Fight the good fight of faith. There's a fight involved. There's a battle involved. Of course, there's a battle with the world, but there's also a battle internally with our flesh, with the wrong ways we think about things. Fight it. That's active. That's something that we do on a day-in and day-out basis. We come here to learn about the issue, learn about what it means to believe, the things we've got to believe, but then we go out there in the world and we fight it, fight for it. Okay, That's involving, of course, the full armor of God, God doesn't leave us to our own devices in fighting, but that doesn't change the fact that there's a fight. And then he, then he comes on to the, the, the issue of the day. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of it. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, he has, con- he has believed in Christ and he's made the confession. He's basically saying, I'm ready to live the life that, that I now have because I have eternal life. But now he's saying, take hold of it. See, we have eternal life, and we can also, also take hold of it. By the way, what an exciting thing to know. Isn't it exciting when you think about it? That now you have a, now God has given you the capacity, and now he's saying, take hold of it. Build that capacity. Live with me. Know me. Know me more intimately. Have more of a relationship with me. Take hold of this thing that you now have. Those two statements are not the same. Why? Well, because if you're a believer in Christ, you already have eternal life. Would it make any sense for somebody to tell you to take hold of something that you already have? If it just meant to have it? No, right? But if you have it, and now there's something you can do with it, now that makes sense. And that's where we are. See, you can have eternal life, yet never take hold of it. It's there, you have it, but you never live in it. Again, the garden. You have it, but it remains a secret. It's walled off until you step into it. That's the same, kind of the same thing. You can have eternal life, but never take hold of it. Or in the language we're going to see in the book of Galatians, you can fail to reap it. That doesn't mean you're going to hell. It means that there's things that you can reap, fruit that you can have in this life related to that eternal life. You can have eternal life, yet never take hold of it. That doesn't mean we can lose our salvation. It simply means that we don't grow. We don't grow in our capacity to live an eternal life in time. 
Here's what we do here. We're building capacity, of course, when we learn these things. But then really the, the growing happens when the Holy Spirit takes these things. And by the way, when we actually use these things, see, by living in it, now we're developing our capacity to live in it. I mean, a very crude illustration of that is exercise, right? If you can sit there, God says, I've given you a body, right? You've got a body. But you can, you can actually live in the, 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 the growth that's possible, right? Exercise, and you'll get more strength. You see, it's kind of a similar thing here. But you have to grow by living in this. Grow in your capacity. You learn it, and then you apply it. But if we don't, right, then we're not taking hold of eternal life. We're not growing in our capacity to live in it in time. But that's the negative side. And we can, no, you have to look at the negative side to understand what you want to avoid. But the great news is that we can do this. We are given the, by the Lord opportunity after opportunity to take hold of eternal life. Now, we can experience more and more of eternal life now in our mortal bodies. We can grow in our capacity to live an eternal life now. But we're back to the question. Simple question. What's the question of the day? It's one word. How? <laughs> right? How? How? Well, you know, to begin to answer that question, all we got to do is check out the neighborhood. You see, verses don't sit there in isolation. And then you're, you're left to wrestle with it, especially something like he's saying, taking hold of eternal life. Tell me how. He tells us how. Look at, let's go back all the way to verse 8 and see how. 1 Timothy 6, 8. What are we doing? We're checking out the neighborhood. We got a statement in verse 12. But you remember, he's, he's set that up. He's actually already answered the question partially by what he's already said. All right? Verse 8. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Contentment is a big part of living an eternal life, right? We're going to be in perfect contentment in heaven, but we can, by obeying the Lord, we can be content here. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich... Oh, wait a minute. Once again, we have right back to the rich young man, right back to the fact that living an eternal life does involve the proper use of our riches, of our treasures, of our wealth. But those who want to get rich, not who are rich, but are coveting riches, fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. Does that sound like eternal life to you? No. And a snare, you know what a snare is? When an animal gets trapped, right? Many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Man, that doesn't sound like eternal life to me at all. What's the problem? Verse 10. For the love of money, this is right back to the commandments, baby. The coveting of it. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. That's the, can you say that's the opposite of eternal life? You can live in eternal life knowing and having a relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. Or you can do things that, where you're living in an evil status. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. Now, if they have the faith, they're saved, but they wander away from it. In other words, they're not fighting the good fight of faith, are they? And pierce themselves with many griefs. They have no one but themselves to blame. Verse 11. Thinking about the question, how do I live and grow in eternal life now? How do I take hold of it? Verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God. Okay, first of all, what's the first thing you do in order to take hold of eternal life? Yeah, you run away from other stuff, right? In context, it's going to be run away from... People who are wrangling about words, and that's, all, that's above we didn't see that. But the love of money, run away. When you see yourself being taken over by that coveting, run in the other direction. And then, then you can pursue, right? A lot of times that's true. You have to run away from the bad before you can pursue the good. That's exactly what, what Paul says when he says, put away the old man first. Run away from that. Put him away. 
then be renewed in your, in your spiritual mind, and then put on the new. Now you're ready to do what, it, what it, we're talking about in fighting the good life. Pursue, fight rather, pursue righteousness. Now, now this is, I, hope, I want you to show, this is all a piece. This is all together. Now, what's what I mean by that? Do, are you already declared righteous in God's eyes as a believer in Jesus Christ? Yes. So what could it possibly mean to pursue it if you've already been declared it? There's only one answer. Live in it. Live in it. Pursue righteousness. You know, like, like think, of, think about what's righteous in God's eyes and go for it. Go for it in your, in your daily life. This is not your unalterable relationship with God here. It's your daily life. It's how you live with other people. Godliness, faith, pursue it. Love, love. That's right in the middle there. Love, pursue it. Take hold of it. Fight for it. Perseverance. Perseverance is unmistakably something that is about our daily lives. It means to hang in there. To keep going forward, to have patience, don't lose sight of the goal, and gentleness. And then our passage, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And he goes on, I charge you, notice this, in the presence of God, eternal life is coming to know the one true God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus and to know God's Son, whom he gave us, Christ. And Christ demonstrated it by testifying his good confession before Pontius Pilate. Verse 14. Look who we're back to. What are we back to? Commandment. That you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Daily situation. Right? You've been, you know the commandments, but as Christ said one time, you're blessed if you do them. Same thing. How do you fight the good fight of faith? You keep the commandment. How do you take hold of the eternal life to which you were called? You keep the commandment. And we're going to look at more about what the commandment is. Not the same as the law, but we're going to, we'll see there if we get that far. Yeah, so he says, keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see this is something that's going to be part of who we are all the way to the appearance of Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. Now that relationship with Jesus Christ, who was blessed and the only sovereign, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who alone possesses immortality. He is eternal life and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor an eternal dominion. Amen. How do we take hold of eternal life? According to 1 Timothy 6, first, we flee from anything that is the opposite of taking hold of eternal life. Flee from youthful lusts, you'll say, in another place. Flee from wrangling about words. Yes, See, as long as you're wrangling about words, debating their meaning and coming up with all kinds of different philosophies or, you know, there's a lot of people out there that all they want to do is debate a scripture. That's all they want to do. Well, as long as you're debating it, can you see that you're not ready to live in it yet? (laughs) That's the same thing that the rich young man did to Jesus. I want to debate you. I don't want to do it. Don't, he says, don't be wrangling about words and flee from the love of money. Run, turn in the opposite direction and run as quickly as you can. That's activity. That's something that we do. And then pursue the opposite, right? The things that contribute to living in eternal life. How do you live in eternal life? How do you take hold of it? You pursue the things that contribute to living in eternal life. And what are those things? Righteousness. Pursue it. Godliness, the way you live, pursue it. Faith, believe, continue. See, we think of belief in terms of salvation. Let me tell you something. Belief is the way that we live every day. That's what Paul said, right? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, Christ who lives in me, right? 
and the life, here's eternal life and time, the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. We are just as dependent on Jesus Christ after we're saved as we were to be saved. And it's a daily thing. You know, you, you can either choose to believe what God has said to you, what Jesus has said to you, or not. If you believe it and live that way, now you're taking hold of eternal life. If you don't, you're not. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. I want to take them one at a time first so we understand what's going on here. All right, so that's how you do it. You know, you pursue gentleness. What does that mean? It means you, you, you become a gentle person. That's what it means. It means to be tender-hearted, forgiving, especially the members of the body of Christ. That's a daily thing. And remember, this is how we take hold of eternal life. Very simply, how do we take etern- hold of eternal life according to this passage in 1 Timothy 6? It's real simple, actually. A lot of the most important, powerful, and challenging things are simple. That's why sometimes it's, it's a real mistake to try to get into all the intricacies and debates and all of that and systematic theology and all of that. Why? Because the most important, challenging things are simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. Simple to say, challenging to live in. Pursue the things that are pleasing to God. Now, in order to pursue the things that are pleasing to God, how do you, how do, you do that? You have to know them. You have to come to know, have a more intimate relationship with the things that are pleasing to God. It's coming to know somebody. How do you know what's pleasing to somebody if you don't have a relationship with them? You don't. But that's the answer. How do we take hold of eternal life? Simply pursuing the things that are pleasing to God. All right, let's just turn to Romans chapter 12, too. We're going to have to... We're going to have to, we're going to, have to come back next week. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with continuing on this amazing subject of taking hold of eternal life? Because next week we're going to go to Galatians 6 and talk, and talk about reaping it which is another way of saying the same thing. But we're going to end here in Romans 12, 2. This morning. How do we take hold of eternal life? Flee from that which is, which is damaging to your living in it. Pursue the things of God. And here, pursue the things that please Him. Or do His will. Back to obedience. We're back to the commandments. All right. Look at Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. See how he starts again with the thing you're supposed to run away from? Right? Back in where we were in 1 Timothy 6, it was the things of the flesh. And now it's the world. Don't be conformed to this world. If you're conformed to this world, you can't possibly be growing in your participation in living eternal life now. You can't. They're opposites. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay. And here we can plug in for our subject, coming to know and have a more intimate relationship with God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, how do you do that? So that you may prove, right? verify, show, in a sense, what the will of God is. So the issue of pursuing things that are pleasing is fulfilling the will of God. And what is that all about? That which is good. Right back to this, this way you live, and acceptable, and perfect. What's that word at the end? Perfect. Maybe you have a different word. I don't know. The thundering King James, maybe it's mature. I don't know what it is, complete. But anyway, the same idea, right? You can, you can prove the will of God by doing it, and that involves pursuing what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can imitate his character. That's where we're going to have to stop this morning. I want you to think about that as we close, though. You can imitate his character. Yes, you first have to have an intimate relationship with him to learn what his character is, right? You know, don't boast in your riches, but boast in this, that you come to know God, right? That he is merciful, that he is just. And then imitate it. Once you know it, you're blessed if you do it. Imitate his righteousness. I mean, essentially, it means to do the right thing. 
and, and, and encourage other people to do the same. And, of course, his love. His love. The end of our instruction is love. And that's where we'll close. Heavenly Father, thank you today for opening our eyes to that question, that follow-up question, which is how do we live in eternal life? How do we grow in our capacity to live? And we know that it's keeping your commandments. And we know that that, that, that maybe springboard is the, is the Ten Commandments. But as Christians, it goes way beyond. Thank you for that. Father, help us this week to take something that we've seen this morning in terms of fighting the good fight of faith and actually going out there and doing it. We know also that it's all by your power. It's all by believing in Christ. It's all by the power of the Spirit. Nevertheless, we have a choice. And help us, Father, to see the wisdom and the beauty of choosing to live an eternal life this week. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. You know the drill. Thursday Bible study, 630. We're in Isaiah chapter 53, okay, which is about as clear a statement of the gospel as you can find anywhere, even though it's in the Old Testament. All right. So if there's one place in Isaiah that it's important for us to go to and master, it's chapter 53. So I encourage you to be a part of that. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you again today. We ask you now as we leave, Father, help put us in the right set frame of mind. Renew our minds. Convict us of the things that we as Christians have to push away from. Challenge us and encourage us to go forward and pursue the things which make for eternal life. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.